This is Under the Low Bridge, an unconventional history of the Erie Canal. In honor of the 200th anniversary of its construction, the History Department at the University of Rochester presents six environmental stories. And you're listening to Here You Are. Low Bridge, everybody down. Low Bridge, far we come and do it Welcome to Part 7, Invasion of the Sea Lamprey. I'm Saida Luhan. And I'm Ruth Dan. Ruth, can I share with you the creepiest description of a sea monster I've ever read? Go for it. Here it goes. They stalked the Great Lakes since the 1800s, leaving scores of dead in their wake, and even the best science hasn't been able to stop their incessant breeding. Scientists have mapped their genome, are experimenting with cutting-edge pheromone research and sterilization techniques, and have pulsed the waters with electricity and fed the creatures chemicals in the hopes of stopping their scourge. But nothing seems to really work. I found this description in a 2007 article in the Halifax Daily News describing sea lampreys, and it reads like a horror story. Ruth, I heard you were looking into these sea monsters. Can you describe what they are? Sea lampreys are parasitic fish. They have a slimy, eel-like body that usually measures out to four feet long. Although the description from the article is dramatic, it's true that lampreys attach themselves to large fish like tuna and feed on their bodily fluids. They don't have any jaws, but they do have a round mouth with sharp, consecutive, circular rows of teeth. A fish is seldom able to free itself from a mouth like this. Sea lampreys are native to the Atlantic coast and are part of a healthy marine ecosystem there. But in the Great Lakes region, they're a deadly and unnatural threat, leaving gaping holes in the sides of millions of fish. Scientists have been trying to eradicate them since the 50s. Wait, so are they part of a healthy ecosystem or a threat in the Great Lakes? And why have scientists been fighting them for the past 70 years? A sea lamprey may be a parasite on the open ocean, but in the Great Lakes, they're a predator. A large tuna could survive a hit, but a smaller lake trout usually can't because they didn't co-evolve with sea lampreys. Here, they're a deadly invasive species where they killed more fish in the 1950s than the entire commercial harvest. This is a huge problem because the surrounding communities are heavily dependent on fishing to earn a living. I can see the problem emerging. Can you describe how the lampreys entered the region? A fisherman reported the first lamprey in Lake Ontario in the 1850s. There are suspicions that they entered through the Erie Canal. Okay. So what changed? As trade demand increased throughout the New York State region in the 1850s, canals were extended and widened to accommodate bigger ships. The Welland Canal connected Lake Erie and Lake Ontario, bypassing the Niagara Falls in the early 1820s. But in 1913, the canal was widened, increasing the water flow between Erie and Ontario. When this happened, the lampreys were able to get past the falls and enter the upper Great Lakes, causing trouble for the local fishermen. This really is a textbook example of an invasive species. But I think that's not quite right. What do you mean? The lampreys are organisms that were brought into a new area by humans. They disturb the environment and kill native species in the process. Isn't that the definition of an invasive species? I think instead, the questions we should be asking is, one, what defines an invasive species, and two, why do we want to eradicate them so much? 
The National Invasive Species Council defines invasive species as alien species whose introduction does or is likely to cause economic or environmental harm or harm to human health. What this definition reveals is that there are always economic and political factors that come into play when determining when a species is considered invasive or not. Invasive species seems to carry the implicit notion that they are harmful in all environments, but this is not true. In some cases, they can actually help restore balance to an unbalanced ecosystem. Plus, when you were talking about the timeline earlier, I noticed a discrepancy. And what's that? You cited the 1950s as a time that the sealant preys were effectively destroying the ecosystem. While I was just reading Nancy Langston's book, Sustaining Lake Superior, and apparently around this time the Great Lakes were heavily polluted, a scientist named Charles H. Stoddard showed that mining and industrial waste had a big impact on the Great Lakes ecosystem. The 50s was a period of peak pollution for the region, and that's when the trout population crashed. I see what you're saying. The sea lampreys were in Lake Ontario in the 1850s, a hundred years before the trout population began to decline. It was only the combination of pollution and the sea lampreys that caused the collapse. So in other words, it was only when the lampreys began posing a threat to lake trout that perceptions of them changed. They were seen as alien, an invader that needed to be dealt with. And their wormy appearance certainly didn't help. This episode was made possible by the generous support of several departments at the University of Rochester. The Here You Are team would like to thank Melissa Mead and the Department of Rare Books and Special Collections, Blair Tinker and the Digital Scholarship Lab, Stephen Resner at the Department of Audio and Music Engineering, and last but not least, the Department of History. Oh, bridge, everybody down.